Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Project 86 frontman and author Andrew Schwab. Just tell me a little bit about your background, everything from childhood, high school, all the way into wherever you found faith. Uh, sure. Yeah, I was I was raised in a Catholic home. Uh, my grandparents were devout Catholics. So how did that, like, how did you vibe with the sort of... Uh, cold nature of being catholic i don't know um, does that make sense <laughs> yeah of course um it's obviously a completely different approach to faith and church etc than like the evangelical world right. protestant much of protestant not all protestant but yeah yeah um i would say more modern versions of protestant faith right i guess um so you know from as the time i was born until essentially high school I went to Catholic church every Sunday for most of my childhood. I went to Catholic catechism Sunday school. You know. So were you like living with your grandparents or did you just go with them? No. Uh, my grandparents were just the most devout right. people and the source of kind of uh, my parents having me go to church. Right. Um, they were what I would call the, the prime example of awesome Catholic <laughs> people. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, there is a yeah. There's obviously a ton of amazing people within that, uh, within that circle. And then, what was that like moving into high school? As far as you know, how much of it did you feel like was a cultural belief you were around, and how much of it was kind of like your own personal thing? In high school, essentially, I got to know a group of peers, you know, friends at school. I I had moved to the West Coast and was basically the new kid in school, and I happened to meet first right off the bat, a group of, you know, born-again Christian right. uh, people. And what was enticing about, like, like they were just nice folks, right? I mean, I guess that's what's enticing to every person. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> being new in a situation, having moved across the West Coast, the total culture shock of being in a new place, being in a new school, all that stuff, and the fact that this was the first time in my life there was a, a, a group of people that I could fairly decently relate to. Right. Doubt to me you know, first and foremost, to, like, be friends, being the new guy in school, said a lot, you know, like, when you're 16, 17 years old, you know, that's a huge gesture, right, and so that, I think, eventually, because we started hanging out, laid the foundation, you know, for me to accept their many invitations to go to a Bible study, it was like a home Bible study, and it was totally the opposite of everything that I'd ever experienced when it came to faith and Christianity, right, and, um, you know, make a long story short, you know, people were singing and they were praying and it was, you know, a pretty intensely um, communal spiritual time that I had never experienced before. And the fact that it was brand new and it seemed to be genuine right. meant, and it was against the backdrop of friendship meant that I was open to it. And yeah. basically just at that first Bible study, just prayed in yeah. the privacy of my own mind, you know, just to ask if God was there. And I felt like he responded and mm. he was real to me yeah i feel like people kind of observe the most or or i'll speak for me i feel like i learn the most from other people by what they consider normal because like it's what they don't say like you know when someone tells you something you go you kind of take it with a grain of salt even without meaning to because you just go i don't know is it what they mean or i don't know sometimes you can tell people are being saying exactly what they mean but when people's normal is different i think you just inherently pick up on that and uh, that's really cool. Um, when did you start Project Eighty Six? Was it in high school? No, it was it was in college. Actually. Okay. 
this question is not like any of the others, but I just wanted to ask it. When did you meet your wife? Did you meet your wife after you were already doing the band stuff? Like, did you meet her that way? Uh, or did you meet her? I don't know. How'd you meet her? Uh, yeah, I actually met her at a show. Um, right. She was actually working um, for our record label at the time, and she wasn't there to see our band, right. but another band. And I think she said something like, um, she didn't actually see me on stage because the show was packed. I think it was sold out, and there were a lot of taller people than her in the room. <laughs> the stage but i think i went off on a rant about something uh during the show and her response was wow what's that guy's problem What has been your favorite tour so far of all the tours you've been a part of all these years? Favorite tour? Um, <laughs> that is a really good question. Uh, I don't know. Maybe one when you... I don't know. I don't know what the criteria of that is. Well, yeah. There, there would be different tours that would be favorite for different reasons. Uh, I would say our most recent tour of Europe. <laughs> I did Just not think you were going to say that. I thought you were going to be like, I was 18 years old and like, I was so. No, uh, I love touring in Europe and we just had right. a great experience this last, uh, this last trip. Right. And, and a couple um, of over there and played some really great shows. And, and like, some good people. is it, is it true that like rock music is kind of in a, sort of a different place in Europe than it is in the U S yeah, I would say in the U.S., rock music almost doesn't exist anymore. Right. But it certainly does in Germany. So a few years back, I don't know all the details, but a few years back, you had like a, a health scare with one of your uh, kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about that, just as in as much detail as you want to go. It doesn't matter. And then just like where that sort of put your head. Well, yeah, when my when my daughter was born, uh, there were complications with the delivery, and she basically was not alive when she came out, and they, mm-hmm. they brought her back. But that whole experience was insane. Mm-hmm. And... How long, I can't like put how it long, into words, yeah. and I can't even describe how it makes you feel, but it's like completely powerless. Right. Uh, how long and, was that like period where they, you know what I mean, where she was having trouble? Only a few minutes, mm. like ten minutes. Wow. So, uh, she went down when she was still, you know, in the womb, and then, like, basically an emergency delivery. 
and then when she came out, she was not conscious, and then mm. they brought her back. And then when she came back, they told us that there's a really good chance she could have issues, and then she mm. has not had any health issues. Wow. So, but pretty like, miraculous. Mm. And, like, every second just probably feels like slow motion when that stuff's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Everything. Wow. It was um, crazy. And it's great that I can talk about it in such a detached emotional way now because yeah. she's almost seven. I was going to say, wait, how I old is she? Now because it's like, oh, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I was like, I felt a little weird even bringing it up. But how has your view of God changed since you have been a father? Uh, I mean, I think you realize that you don't have as much about life figured out as you think you do. And you start realizing like when you're getting frustrated with your kid because they're doing something to not listen to you, like how you must appear to God in many situations. You know what I mean? Because there's so many ways that we don't trust God or don't believe what he says, even though he knows much better than we do. Yeah. I feel like trying to explain to my daughter, you know, why it's important that she respect her parents and she doesn't totally get it, you know? And so I put it in terms of, okay, if you start to run into the street and I tell you to stop and you don't listen to me and I run after you and grab you and keep you from running in the street just as a car is about to come and I save you from it hitting you and then I spank you to say, you know, or to, to teach you to not run into the street, you know what I mean? Is that being a good dad or a bad dad? Right. He looks at me and he says, I guess that's being a good dad. <laughs> and I think of how many of the of the things that I believe wrongly about God are because I kind of don't see a human equivalent. Like, you know, the way I see, uh, like I see people's actions and their being as one and the same, especially if they're people I'm not that close to. Whereas mm-hmm. like, you know, with God's sort of view uh, on me is maybe not that way maybe he because he sees all intentions um you're not just what you do uh you know and so there's like affection and there's love for you as a being outside of even your actions in a way that maybe being a parent sort of has that um parallel because you know regardless of what they're doing you have this like compassion for that this little person that you would do you know that you would literally take a bullet for them uh, in a way that I or anyone who does not have a kid probably uh, doesn't fully sort of get yet. What would you say to someone who is on the fence uh, about the the God thing at all? Like they maybe they have just been kind of uh, hurt by someone who said they believed it, or just for any number of reasons they just don't know if they care at all. Well, I think from like a purely logical standpoint or a philosophical standpoint, I guess, um, the existence of God is neither proven nor disproven by the actions of man. The existence of God is not uh, contingent upon the people who are so-called followers behaving well or behaving poorly. Right. If God exists and he's real and he is who he claims to be, or he is a being that is much higher than we are, then he exists separately from our actions as his sole representation on this earth. That's what most people have a really hard time with, especially with, you know, well, any faith really, but you yeah. know, in the context of Christianity, it's like, well, I'm not a Christian because Christians are idiots. Well, I'm not a right. Christian because all the people that claim to be um, suck. Right. Well, I'm not really going to debate that. I've met right. a lot of Christians that suck. Okay? Right, well, but on the other hand... 
Yeah. I, I, in fact, I'm sure I'm one of them. I'm the chief sucking Christian. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's like it's this weird thing where, um, you know, every every Christian still lives with all their human instincts, obviously. So, like, contradiction is a natural thing that they are struggling with every day. Um, but as you said, their actions, good or bad or even evil, do not uh, disqualify the truth in those written, you know, statements. Like all of the evil that happened between, like you know, uh, priests and all the sexual stuff and all that, it didn't make the Bible a lie. Now, <laughs> it just did it. Like it just truth is true regardless of who lives or dies. So, like I see this thing, this sort of movement within young people. Uh, especially as it pertains to God, uh, that like there are just a lot of aspects about right and wrong where they just sort of want to kind of cut that off the uh, the experience. And I feel like there's a lot of people that are looking for sort of a more convenient version. And you know, and that's I think that's very natural to to do that. But the nature of truth, by you know, by definition, is exclusive, and so. Uh, so that's like a thing that I kind of wrestle with every day. Like, you know, let's take something as small as like swearing or whatever. Obviously, I think it's the, the very bottom of the totem pole of things that are wrong. And so that's why it's obviously not a huge deal. That being said, uh, when I do, when I am swearing, it feels like this tiny like fracture of, of my, so something internal about my worldview that is just like, it just doesn't sit right. Now, um, this is not an anti-swearing campaign. It is not a big deal. I've already said that. See, for me, I just feel <laughs> awesome afterwards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but let's take sex before marriage. Like, that's basically a joke within Christianity because no one knows why they wouldn't do it. No one knows the best version of a relationship between a man and a woman. That, like, no one really has seen the marriage where the two people trust each other so much because they have held this thing for each other that there's no, like, there's not all these doubts and there's not all these, like, tiny pieces of guilt and stuff that every normal human lives with because they didn't do this. Like, um, I have a few couples in my life where they really did this. They really were pure when they got married, and their marriage after, it's not what they say about how great it is. It's what they don't say. When you see them interact, there's so, there's such a, like, bond of trust there that you just go, that, that's what I want. Whatever that is, I want that. Yeah, and that's real, dude. I mean, as much as, like you said, there might be a, a jokes out there about that whole concept. I just mean no one takes it seriously. The the like the kids of the of my like pastor, like they don't, you know what I mean? Like no one cares. And I get that. I'm not saying it's like murder, but <laughs> but it's not best case scenario. I it is my belief that we should shoot for maxing like potential rather than maxing comfort because comfort obviously is instant gratification but the best version of life is usually nearly the hardest and uh and that is what i'm shooting for um rather than what is normal because normal it leaves things to be desired in my opinion um okay that being said, what is the elevator pitch for the record someone's never heard project 86 before? This might feel a little weird to you cuz you're so close to it, but um just like uh yeah what's the elevator pitch for the new record uh elevator pitch for the band elevator pitch for the record uh the band in general i think project you know we've sort of carved out a unique niche for ourselves over the last couple decades and writing heavier music that 
you know, we sort of summed this up earlier. You know, there's definitely that knucklehead appeal, you know, in each of us to where it, it fulfills that sort of testosterone, angry vibe. Um, but the lyrics are not knuckleheady. Right. Like it, I heard someone say a long time ago that it's like if C.S. Lewis had a metal band or something like that. Uh, and um, and then I'll take it. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm not gonna make you respond to that because that is you know uh, that is a compliment. Where can people buy the record and just talk a little bit about streaming and why you're not doing it? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can buy the record two places. Um, well, first of all, you can buy it wherever digital music is sold. But we ask uh, if you're gonna buy the record, buy it through the band at Project86.com. Uh, we have two stores. We have a regular store where you can buy the CD, project86.com slash store, or you can go to our digital store, which is project86.com slash digital dash store, or just go to the main navigation and go to either of those. Uh, we see the most proceeds, obviously, if you buy directly from us. Right. Uh, and, and now that- if you if you want a digital copy, you can get the MP3s on project86.com, or you can go get lossless FLAC files from our Pledge Music page. And that's just pledge music. No, no one knows what those are, so continue. I'm sorry? No one knows what those are. <laughs> F- FLAC files, those are like the highest quality digital audio files you can get. Okay. And then, so talk about the streaming thing. So the monetary side of streaming for a band, most people don't know this, is super bad. So if 100 people play a song, it's the equivalent of one person buying it. So if you buy one album, that's the equivalent of 1,000 people listening to one of uh, Project 86 songs. Is that about right? Yeah, bands make nothing off of streaming. I mean, nothing. I mean, it's just, like, ridiculous how slanted that whole thing is. And, you know, um, you pay $10 a month, you, you don't know who... I mean, you assume all the bands are doing fine, but, like, there's no, just no money mean, it, in it. It's just completely destroyed revenues for any artist, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, even if you're tens of millions of streams, it's a fraction of what those artists would make by selling 10% of those records. Right. Um, and so... We have a philosophy on streaming. Essentially, um, we'll we'll allow people to stream the record after you know a certain period of time after the record's released to encourage people to buy it. If you support the band, you love what we do. Buy the records because we're not getting rich off of this, and every <laughs> record sold makes a huge difference. Right. So, project86.com or pledgemusic.com slash project86. Awesome. And I will say, uh, as just a music fan and as a person who, who writes music. I feel like your band is in this golden spot where I know if, obviously, if your band was huge, it would be great for monetary reasons and a bunch of other reasons. But, like, to be the kind of band you are where not that many people know, but the people that do know are, like, really in, like, that's that's every, like, musician's dream to have these, like, niche people that you're, like, continually underground in, an, in a great way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we are super fortunate and super thankful, like, you have to understand, seeing it from our perspective, like, when we began fulfilling this pledge campaign, you know, recently, there is this mountain of merchandise and <laughs> and all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, there's still quite a few folks who really care about this. <laughs> yeah. I'm staring at the pile. It's smaller now, but it's still a big pile. <laughs> well. Stuff. That's great. Hey, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I just really appreciate you uh, making time to do this. I no will problem, be, man. yeah, and I will be cutting in a bunch of clips of songs and all that. So uh, I will just send you an email when it is ready to be heard. Thanks, brother. Have a great, have a great dinner. Time. Thank you so much. Bye, man. Bye, bye. Bye. What a nice chap! Literally, my favorite band since uh, he's gone now. So I can say this. 
since probably 2000, my a few of my cousins and my uncle showed me like their first big album, which is Drawing Black Lines. And it's super dirty and heavy and really weird lyrics and just like from everything from sort of artist integrity to just like very uniqueness, very uniqueness. Is that great off 2017? Um, yeah, so just like literally my favorite band of all time. And uh, so very cool to be able to talk to him. I did talk faster than usual, but overall, I think I was m- mostly normal. Thank you guys. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for your time. We will be back very shortly. I'm also going to be just working on some new things. I might be doing YouTube. I might be doing Patreon, and uh, and all that will be coming soon. I want to do some ads uh, on Facebook to uh, to start promoting this thing. Do check out their records. Most of them are on Spotify and all that. And then the new one is just places where you have to buy it. All right. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys.